The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk, and today we're speaking with Kelsey Miller. After years of yo-yo dieting and poor body image, she decided to face her fears and recreate her relationship with food. She embraced intuitive eating and shared her story in her book, Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. Soon after joining the staff of Refinery29, she created the Anti-Diet Project, which is one of the website's most popular franchises. So, Kelsey, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to chat with you today. Um, I, was, I was excited to read your book. I found um, that some of your story, I think a lot of women can relate to of either the poor body image that, that you felt as well or stresses about what's the right food and what's not the right food. So I think this is, um, is going to be a great show talking about this. I'm really excited. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody, I think even men or women these days, who, who hasn't struggled with this to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, um, is all-encompassing in our society. You know, when I was looking for your book, I... Um, or looking for topics for the show, I found a list of the top 10 diet books of that week, or not diet books, health books, and nine of them were mm. diet books. And mm. only one was a different topic. So I think, it, you know, we're, we're a little bit obsessed. And so the, the, the approach that, that you've taken to your life is, is different than how other people are approaching this topic. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, uh, true, um, and but you know, at the same time, you know, I was sucked into that world for for so long, and I think we get sent the message so so often, and so um, from so many outlets that you know, weight and health are, or you know, weight is the most important thing about health. Weight defines health, and 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 not only that, but you know, your sort of worthiness as a person. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so what, what brought you to wanting to tell your story? I think what first started was um, when I really hit bottom with dieting uh, when I was 29, and I knew that I needed to find another way. I had to find a way out, and um, I knew because I am a writer, you know, and, and, and somebody who shares, who, you know, my natural reflex is to share my stories, you know, as I go through them with other people um, in writing, I knew I would have to sort of bring people along for this ride with me. And I also understood that, obviously, as you point out, this is not a unique issue to me at all. This is a very, very common thing. Um, So I decided to pitch a column on the topic uh, where I worked at Finery29. And I pitched my column, The Anti-Diet Project. and, And that really is where it began. And then, because... You know, I spent I spent months sort of sharing the the lessons I learned along the way. Um, I got the opportunity to to write a book and to write a memoir, and I knew that there was this sort of other side of the story that hadn't been told, and that really wasn't um, appropriate for the column. So I I hunkered down and I decided to to tell basically the story of how I got into this mess in the first place and what happened when I got out of it. 
Well, and you know the the how you got into to the mess, as you put it, um, started at yeah. a really young age. You were put on a diet, and and it, you know the the way you tell your story, there was a lot of shame around food as well. And you tell us exactly like what happened and how young you were when this started. Yeah, uh, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly, you know, the, the, the moment, like the sort of crystalline moment where it all began, because as far as I can think back in, in terms of being conscious of having a body, I recognized it as a problem to be solved. And I don't think I was, you know, formally dieting when I was five or six or seven, but I definitely was, you know, getting weird about my food. I was definitely recognizing that food had a relationship to my body. And also that when I ate certain things, you know, it was clear that I that I shouldn't be or that I was doing it in the wrong way or making bad choices. And I, I, I had an enormous amount of shame around my food choices and, and my body as, as it grew. And then I, um, I went on my first formal diet when I was 11. And, you know, I wouldn't even really say I was put on it. It was, it was a situation where I was... I was a theater kid and I had the opportunity to be signed to a talent management company and they asked me to lose some weight and I was all for it. Uh, and I enlisted my mom for help and she was, you know, very happy to help and, and stuff like that because, you know, I think that she knew this was something I really wanted and uh, it was really successful at, at first. I lost an enormous amount of weight very, very fast. Um, and then you know, the magic wore off the way that it always does. And that sort of became the dragon that I chased for, you know, about the next 20 years. Hmm. Um, I, I found interesting that you said you find you found your body a problem that had to be solved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which, I mean, you're probably not alone in feeling that way. Um, but uh, it, it's it's an interesting way to think about yourself. Um, yeah. Which I think, it, yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely a testament to to you know what what was going on. You know, you're 11 years old and you already feel that way about yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. well, I mean, if you look at the statistics, it's really really wild how early this this starts. This self image and this sort of perception, uh, you know, warped perception of oneself, negative perception of oneself, and certainly um, like dieting consciously trying to diet it's unbelievable how, how early it starts I think the current statistic is like you know first formal diet is at the age of eight right now oh. uh, in the US at least um, well, that's a crazy t- statistic because I read other ones that say if you don't, if you just teach children healthy eating, but don't actually talk about formal diets until you know adulthood, they do better with food. And putting people on oh. a restrictive diet can cause a lot of damage later on with food, which I guess is what you experienced. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure that that's true. I think the issue is that you know, first of all, it's, it's all cyclical. It's, it's it's the kind of thing where obviously our parents have, have lived in this culture a long time as well. And it's really hard not to internalize um, this, this sort of the diet industry and the, the perception of like fixing your body and changing your body. It's hard not to absorb all that. And I'm sure it's really, really hard not to, even if you're trying, not to pass some of that on to your kids. So I think there are rare exceptions. You know, I see rare exceptions in my own life sometimes where people are sort of magically... Not, and have no food issues and no body image issues. They're just like, no, everything's fine. This is normal. And it's so bizarre to me because I don't know how you avoid that message. I really don't. Um, I, think, I think it takes a special, a special environment. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. It's pretty hard to avoid the, the advertisement and the, the talk about it. And, of course, in your story, there was a lot at home that was happening as well. You were feeling mm-hmm. shame for, you know, reaching for the carbs and, and sneaking food instead because, you know, uh, I mean, I guess you can explain that better, what was going on, but it seemed to be so much shame around eating. Yeah, it was. It was the kind of thing where certainly I I understood quite clearly that there were certain foods I I shouldn't be eating, or and I certain I shouldn't you know maybe ask for seconds and stuff like that. Um, but you know when you create a forbidden fruit, of course that becomes your obsession. So it was it was first was that I was trying to appear I think as if I was like you know only eating 
what I perceive to be the good foods and the foods that, you know, nobody would get mad at me for eating. And, and then it was, and also, and not really, you know, I felt such shame if I ate a piece of, you know, my brother's birthday cake in front of somebody else. But then it was like this, this, again, this cycle where it got bigger and bigger in my mind and things like, yeah, like dessert and carbs and, you know, certain foods that, that I knew weren't supposed to be quote unquote good for me were demonized. And so I, I had to sort of hoard them and hide them and sneak them. And it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Did you find that some of this um, was turning into um, more of a, 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 like, I guess an addiction as well? I mean, you, you went through some traumas as a child and, and it, it seemed like, you were, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you were using the food to deal with some of your emotions? Yeah, I think that's, that's true. Um, I don't think it's the only sort of thing at, at play. Um, I mean, there's a couple things sort of to parse out there. Um, I, I think, first of all, that, yeah, absolutely, I was um, eating in a way that was like to deal with my emotions. I'd also say that that's a thing that everybody does, even normal eaters. I was doing it, I think, you know, to an unhealthy degree. And also, I, I understood that it was a bad thing to eat your feelings and blah, blah, blah. We all know that. So because I understood it was a bad thing, you know, I was doing it more because it was this, this forbidden thing. And that's just what happens when, when, you, when you demonize cake. Uh, or turn it into something that you shouldn't be doing. Um, and then about the addiction thing, uh, you know, I, I don't really subscribe to the idea that food addiction, for example, is the same as alcohol addiction or drug addiction. I think that there's a lot of overlap and similarities, but I don't think it's, the, it's not the exact same experience. It doesn't have the same altering effect on you. It can certainly alter your state and... You know, you can you can binge. The binge is a sort of undeniable overlap. But I know, I guess, so I never I never categorized it as addiction. Although, you know, similar a lot of what I did at certain points in my life was similar to addict behavior, especially in terms of the sneaking and and binging that kind of thing. Okay, roundabout answer. I hope that helps, though. No, no, that that makes sense to me. Um, you you did a lot of yo-yo dieting, I guess it's called. You go on a diet. And um, how did that affect you? I guess there's a, a physical and emotional component to that. But what was actually happening to you as you were going through all of that? Uh, well, yo-yo dieting was, you know, I would, I would find, I would go from one program, burn out on it, and, and find the next, and lose weight initially, which is, uh, often what happens when you start something sort of new, um, I think in part it's sort of a sort of shock to the system, especially if you're going from eating uh, a certain amount to sort of depriving yourself uh, to a degree. There's, there's like a sort of sudden drop, and then you hit that plateau that everybody talks about in dieting. Um, but I, I, would always, I would always burn out. And then what happened to me is basically what happens to, to everybody. I mean, statistically, when we know this about dieting, was I would gain the weight back and then some. So I was just doing this up and down cycle because, of course, when I gained the weight back and then some, I would desperately search for the next program because the last one hadn't worked. And, oh, my God, it's an emergency. So that, that was the yo-yo thing. It was, it was a cycle that I was super familiar with. And even though it was, like, my greatest torment, I think it was also a big comfort zone for me because it was it was a cycle I'd been doing for so long you know I knew it very very well hmm. it, yeah it's it's um it's still shocking to me that we're so focused on diets when the statistics show that that if you you know unless it's a a real lifestyle change which I think is what you did in the end you're you are gonna you know lose interest or fall off of it as people say fall off the wagon and then you're gonna you know as gain the weight back and more which is um i think probably more traumatic <laughs> i don't know if yeah. you felt that way but um you know you're, you're putting all this effort in and then the end result is is worse than where you started absolutely and you know the, the sort of scary thing is that we've really begun to conflate that term lifestyle change with dieting because we don't we, we understand now i think a lot of people feel that 
you know, the word diet is not a good thing to say. You know, we're supposed to be doing a lifestyle change or we're supposed to be clean eating or doing something else. Um, but really, I mean, a lifestyle change is, is about your whole life. It's not just about what you eat. So, and it's about, you know, reframing the way that you think. The reason that what I do really is a lifestyle change is because I had to make this massive mental shift away from the constant goal of losing weight. I, I really couldn't eat based on the, the goal of losing weight or exercise on the, on the, based on the goal of, of losing weight. It, it, was, it was relearning all those things from an entirely different perspective. And that's really, really challenging. And I don't, I don't think we do it. We get a chance to do it all that often in our lives. No, I, I don't think people even recognize that that's something that we have to do. Um, we're going to talk about that more after we come back from uh, this break. We're talking today with Kelsey Miller. She's the author of Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. Uh, so please tune in. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives. But most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. There is a distinct connection between your physical health and your spiritual health. You would be surprised at how closely the two go hand in hand. By taking care of your body, you take care of your spirit. And it works the other way, too. Honor God with what He gave you. Listen for the Divine Wellness Academy radio program with Troy Izmir. Tune in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And be inspired to use your body for God's glory. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're speaking with Kelsey Miller. She is the author of Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. So, Kelsey, when you were um, experiencing this yo-yo dieting, and of course, you were gaining more and more weight every time you did this, do you feel like you were treated a different way than other people? Wow. Um, I think... That's a tough question. I think we all get policed on our bodies, particularly women. That's that's just a sad cultural fact that needs to obviously be addressed um, in, in the larger scope of things. But absolutely, uh, people, you know, I was, I was, a, I've, I've always, or not always, but I've never been thin. I've, I haven't, I wasn't always like, quote unquote, plus size, but I was never a thin person. And... So I, I did, I did notice the ways that I was treated differently. I mean, when I was in school, it was very evident because even though I wasn't, like, I, I really wasn't um, what you would describe as fat, probably. I was just not a, not in the way that my classmates were, so I was designated fat girl, and, like, I got all of that heat. 
And I, I certainly internalized that, and I think I treated myself differently. And, you know, it's true what they say about the way that you treat yourself really dictates the way others treat you or it teaches them how to treat you. And I did not think of myself as, like, a whole or good enough person at all at that time. So, yes, I think I, think I was treated differently for okay. sort of general cultural bias reasons and also because of my own self-worth. Okay. So when you had this lower self-worth, do you feel like that affected your social life and your romantic life? Yeah, completely. Um, I, I didn't really branch out in terms of making friends. And you know, part of that is, is just personality, but um, part of it was deep, deep shame. I didn't start dating until I was in my like mid-slash-late 20s. And that was definitely because I didn't, I didn't think I was ready. Like, and when I say ready, I mean, you know, uh, the right size. I didn't think I was like a viable candidate for dating. And what I didn't realize until after I quit dieting was that it was holding me back in ways I hadn't, I didn't even notice. Like in terms of my career, I was really treading water. I wasn't trying things. I wasn't, you know, thinking I could possibly achieve goals or anything like that. I wasn't even thinking about goals and dreams. I was just trying, trying to sort of tread water and, you know, just hit pause on everything until I lost, you know, whatever pounds it was I was thinking I had to lose at that time. It was, it was a pretty overarching impact. Yeah. Well, I think that even if people aren't relating to this about weight, which I think most of us can, um, we have at some point in our lives thought, well, if I could just be this way or do this, then I'll be able, everything will be okay. And we have this, um, you know, problem with ourselves in some way, because of course, we're our own worst critic, which is why I liked your book so much, because it it just really got to the core of how I think a lot of people um, feel about themselves. And you're so brutally honest about everything that was going on. And uh, I just found that, um, you know, everything that you were saying, I, there was a, a relationship to something that I had experienced in some way or other, whether it was very similar or just something that just seemed to be what we're all experiencing on some level. Yeah, definitely. I've heard that from people who, who read the book, and it's very comforting to me because <laughs> it's one of those things that I think we all know on a certain level we're not alone in that. But at the same time, nobody's nobody's walking around talking about that feeling of like if I could I could just be this or or if I could just be like you. We're all comparing ourselves to everybody else and and yeah. not recognizing or not sort of admitting to each other that that's what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think so. Probably because it's that one thing we have so much shame about because we want it to be so different. So we don't talk to anybody else about it. And then everybody else is feeling the same way, which I think if we if we knew that and understood that, it might change a lot of things as well. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> we could all know that and like know it forever because I know it sometimes and sometimes I don't know it. <laughs> um, so... When you gave up dieting, um, which I think some people, you know, especially if they haven't read your book, are wondering, what exactly did that mean for you? So I had heard about the practice of intuitive eating before. It's a, it's an old concept. It's been around for, for a long time. Um, and I even, you know, I used to scroll around for diet books on the Internet constantly, and it, I would, it would come up every now and then. But this is a book that that talked about, like, it didn't make any weight loss promises, and it talked about things like making peace with food and, like, accepting yourself. And I was like, I don't want any of that. Those doesn't, doesn't sound like I'm going to be thinner. But when I sort of, when I hit bottom with dieting and I realized that I, I had just, like, run out of the ability to do it again, I knew I needed to find another way. And I sort of knew in my gut that intuitive eating was the sort of common sense thing that I, that I needed. Um, really what it is, is like diet deprogramming, essentially. I worked with a coach uh, who specializes in it, who's also a certified dietitian. She was like a legit nutrition practitioner. And she basically, you know, walked me through unlearning all my food rules. I had to learn how to declassify my good foods and my bad foods and 
recognize things like being hungry and starting to get full. And I, you know, over the years of dieting and just living by food rules and diet rules, I completely lost touch with all those very basic instincts that we all have. Um, and, but, you know, basically, it's all very common sense, this, this intuitive eating, you know, practice. But we have lost, I mean, I had lost any sort of semblance of common sense years ago after doing all the dieting and, and <laughs> learning to uh, to treat food basically not like food, but by as like, you know, the savior or the enemy, depending on what kind of food it was. Um, so, yeah, that was that's the sort of nutshell of intuitive eating. And a lot of it also had to do with practicing mindful eating, which was really uh, difficult, but really life-changing. And it really started with just the simple practice of trying to eat one meal a day without any distraction. No, no screen, no other person, no radio, just like me and the food on my plate. And that really, really helped me to establish a, a normal, neutral relationship with food again. So um, when you were starting this process, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, in your, in your book, you talked about, I think it was the first two weeks, of course, you went for all the, the forbidden foods and oh, what you thought were forbidden, right? And um, I, I found that interesting. I think it, it's the, um, that drive of all of a sudden I'm allowed to have this. But can you just explain what mm-hmm. was happening for you when you started doing this process? Oh, yeah. That was one of the scariest things um, because it, it, what it was for me was I was just, I was paying attention. You know, part of the, the, the first thing you have to learn is permission to eat. Meaning, like, there's, there's nothing that's not allowed. Obviously, you know, if you're allergic to something, whatever, you know, that, that, that's the common sense part here. But I had to teach my brain that it had permission to eat what it wanted, when it wanted, and however much it needed and wanted. My brain, my body, the whole thing. I had to really let that happen. Uh, it was a little bit that first week, like a sort of terrifying free for all. Like one thing was like, it was really fun, but it was also uh, completely scary because of course, what I believed in the back of my head before I started this process was like, you know, this little voice in my head that said, if you can eat whatever you want, you're just going to eat pizza forever. And, you know, a little rational thought tells me that's not true, but it's hard not to believe that when you're used to thinking of yourself as somebody who's untrustworthy around food. So I was like let off the leash and for the first couple of weeks it was like carbs, carbs and carbs. It wasn't like I was, I wasn't binging. Um, I didn't have the need to binge because I could eat whenever I wanted and I didn't have to like restrict to a certain amount um, and I didn't have like times of days I had to eat. I could just eat. But what I found myself craving physically and, you know, for in terms of like food, what I, what I desired in terms of food, it was a lot of carbs. And that was really, really scary. And I had to just trust this process. I would report this to my coach because part of what I was doing was um, keeping a kind of food journal, which was like whenever I ate, I would write it down and I would write down any judgments or, you know, weird thoughts that I had around the food, basically, which you know, was basically straight up panic every time I ate a potato. And I was eating a lot of potatoes. But what I had to do was just trust it and trust that when my body and brain had had enough and, and not only, and recognize that this wasn't the break between diets, that this wasn't the kind of thing where I was going to take the potatoes away, then it could stop hoarding them. Um, so that's, that's what happened. It's, it's, it's what happens. Eventually, I, you know, the truth is you won't eat pizza forever. You won't eat potatoes forever. You'll get tired of them. You'll want something else. But you really have to fundamentally teach yourself that they're not off limits. And, and that's what happened for those first couple weeks. And I, I didn't have to do it again. It just ran its course. And there wasn't any, like, I didn't, like, eat potatoes until I was in the hospital. I just, I, looking back, I think I ate probably a, like, a, like a slightly more than average amount of carbohydrates. <laughs> but for you, it was probably terrifying because you were suddenly Completely allowed terrifying. to do all this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you sought help from, from a dietitian. And I'm just curious if you feel like 
um, this is something you could have approached on your own or if you feel like you needed help to to basically rewire your brain about how you thought about food and what that process was like for you? I needed help. Um, I needed help because I had, there's, you know, an intuitive eating book, but I knew that I could just put that book down. I, you know, there's always a certain point where you get bored with something with a diet. It's often when you, you know, plateau, um, and then you, you just look for something new and shiny. And I knew, especially when I, when I knew I would have to do things like, you know, learn how to have permission to eat, that I would, if I was doing it on my own, I would back, it would be so easy for me to backtrack. Even though I really felt like I could never go on a diet again, I was, I was scared. And I was very lucky to have the opportunity to work with my, with my intuitive eating coach, um, his name is Teresa Kinsella. Uh, she's wonderful. And I mean, I think that even, even if you, if you can't look with a coach, which not everybody can, of course, um, the important thing is to give yourself some support and structure. And there are so many communities out there that, that do this, especially on, on the internet. Um, and, you know, in between sessions with my coach, I would go on there and I would read other people's experiences. And it was, incredibly comforting and exciting and it provided me that structure that I needed um, so that that's just me maybe some people really could do it on their own I'm sure but for me I, I needed structure and support absolutely I think that's an important to acknowledge because when we're changing I mean you ended up changing such a huge core of your life to have guidance so that you can because she caught you in some things you know you get upset about food and she'd ask you well do you have permission to eat carbs and of course you did so she was able Mm -hmm. it seemed like help you talk you out of some of the old patterns of thinking that you had yeah absolutely that was a huge part of it Okay, so um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Kelsey Miller. She is the author of Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. We're going to be back shortly after this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You 
are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. We're talking today with Kelsey Miller. She's the author of Big Girl, How I got, Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. She also created the Anti-Diet Project, which is um, a popular franchise of the website Refinery29. So Kelsey, I know that what some people are probably thinking as they listen to this interview is if you lost weight. And I'm actually not going to ask that question because I don't think that's the point of what you did. So I want to know how you feel about food right now. I feel much more neutral than I ever have in my life. It's funny, I had to really think about that because I'm so used to having extreme reactions and emotions to food and now it's 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 exploratory it's 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 you know it's not a hundred percent different than what it when it once was I still have some of those old beliefs and and thought patterns you know when when you've done Weight Watchers a bunch of times it's hard not to look at a piece of bread and know exactly how many points are in it right it's hard mm-hmm. to unlearn those things. So basically what I do is when those sort of old thoughts come up in my head, I look at it and I say, okay, yep, I hear you on the point. It's also a piece of bread. And I sort of talk myself into it becoming neutral again. Again, it requires, a, you know, a not insignificant amount of mindfulness, which, which is a huge effort. And I don't always have the energy or the will to, to be so super mindful around food. But I do try to keep it, keep it going um, throughout my day and, and throughout my life and make it an ingrained habit. And, and it's becoming much more easy as time goes on. But that's not to say that everything is sort of magically all better again. It's just, it is, it is a million times better than it was before. I'm not... I'm not tortured by this. I, I feel very little and very infrequent anxiety around food, and it's just the greatest possible gift, you know? I, I can imagine. Um, you talk at the end of your book as well because you're doing all this mindful eating, intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you realize some other things about what was going on in your life. Um, you called it being distracted. And is, mm-hmm. Can you just explain what that is and if, if that's changed as well? Yeah. It, it, yes, it has. Um, yeah. Uh, food for me was obviously my my biggest distraction in life and the thing I sort of got all caught up in whether it was restricting food or managing food or binging on food, whatever it was, it all revolved around that. But there were other things that I did to sort of keep myself from feeling anything or engaging in anything. Like I said, it was it was a comfort zone to sort of and it, it is it is easier to hit pause on your life and say, I won't do this until dot dot dot. Um, and I, I managed that in other ways. And when I took food, the sort of food distraction out of the equation, all the other distractions in my life kind of came flying up in my face. Like the fact that I walked everywhere with headphones in and the fact that I turned the TV on, like, you know, the second I got home, the fact that I had to have music or an audiobook going all the time, um, that I really, I really had to acknowledge that as as an issue because I didn't want to be totally disengaged from my life, and it's again something that I I still practice. Um, I try to you know delete games off my phone or at least you know not not let my not not let myself not let the default thing I do be some sort of form of distraction. I try to just like find be okay with being quiet and being still 
and maybe alone uh, at, at certain points throughout the day. And it's just, it's a struggle, but it's what keeps me, I want to say grounded, but it really keeps me just sort of engaged in the world and gives me room to, to really think, you know? I, yeah, it, well, it makes sense to me because I think we're also in a day and age where we're, we're hypermedia, which is part of the problem with our body image as well as, yeah. as I think a lot of people are distracted as well. And to be able to, to recognize that um, and to change that as well, I think we all need to do that on some level. I think most people are um, pretty distracted, you know, instead of carrying books around like yeah. we used to, people carry phones around. Right. So um, at the end of your book, um, you I mean, you talk about how you're not looking at the the scales anymore, but um, has your health changed by doing this? Uh, Yeah, I'm I mean, for one thing, when before I started doing this, I was afraid to go to the doctor because I was so afraid first of all, of, of being weighed and also of, of being, you know, having to talk about my weight, even if even if I went and my doctor didn't comment on my weight, which, looking back, I don't think he did all that often. Um, it's scary uh, because this is, it's always something to be ashamed of. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I mean, I take care of myself in so many more ways now, and part of that is regularly going to the doctor and I, 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 yeah, I mean, he's, he's happy. I'm happy. It's a good situation. I mean, I also have, for the first time in my life, a consistent relationship with exercise. Um, I didn't talk about that a lot, but I, just like with dieting, I was very on again, off again when it came to the gym. Like, I, it was very extreme. It was either just a complete commitment, constant, you know, twice a day workouts, like a maniac, or working out to the point of, injury uh, or not doing anything for like years it was crazy so this is the first time in my life where I consistently exercise and I actually enjoy it and I actually don't or I actively try not to associate it with calorie burn because that was the only thing it meant to me before you know yeah it's it's a much more healthy relationship with a lot of things including my body and, and fitness yeah, I can see how that would it would make a difference if you're exercising because you have to burn a certain amount or do this rather than rather than just choosing something that you enjoy because you want to be active, which is a whole yeah. different mindset. Yeah, it was the opposite before. I really didn't think that a workout counted unless it unless I hated every second of it. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, which, you know, goes with the same, you had this shame about food and then, um, you know, the other thing that that's good for you, eating properly. And then also um, you're, um, you're probably feeling the same shame of exercise, whether you're doing it or you didn't do enough because you didn't feel the burn enough. So you can see where that would get you in a, in a weird state for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you did your, your, you have a blog, um, telling about your story and I know that you got some feedback online and I want to talk about that just a little bit because I know, um, the world has changed, especially from, you know, when I was growing up where we, not only do we have bullies like we did before, but there's no face to the bullies anymore. And I think that, that people are able to say things that they, um, you know, they wouldn't say otherwise to your face. And, um, yeah, how, how did that impact this journey? You were doing this in such an open way of changing your life, which is sometimes a very private thing for people. And you were getting comments about it. How did that affect you? Well, it was strange because, you know, you'd, you'd think, oh, it would just hurt my feelings and I'd never look at them. But really, I was so drawn to the negative comments that I would get on the column on the anti-diet project um, on the finery. And I, I, I would immediately look for the comments whenever a story went up. And, um, you know, there was a there was a sort of shot in for it to the whole thing, but, you know, to, on myself. Uh, and I think part of it had to do with the fact that I, I, was, I was just astonished by the cruelty of people. 
but there was a, definitely a, a part of me, you know, in the back of my head that really believes that, you know, believes the, the horrible things that people would say about me um, online, that I was just like, you know, a big, fat, disgusting creature kind of thing. You know, I think, I think those really spoke to that self-hating part of me. And after a while, you know, part of it was I just, I just got bored. And the other part was I think that I started to, to not hate myself in that way anymore. Um, and certainly not to that degree. And so I didn't, I, I don't, I don't feel the need to, to reach for those comments. I don't feel the need to flood myself with all the terrible things people say to me anymore. Um, I recognize now that even though I, I sort of laughed at them before, that, you know, they, they embedded in my mind. They became things that I carried around with me everywhere I went. Um, as crazy and as hateful as I knew these people were, um, you know, I still carried them with me, and I, and I don't need to do that anymore. Um, well, I, I think that's interesting. I mean, you said you got bored of them, and, and I, I'm just wondering if, if you feel like if you hadn't done the intuitive eating and become more aware of yourself, if you would have actually become bored, or, or if, you know, if you hadn't done the work, if those comments would still be affecting you in the same way? Probably, yeah. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're very familiar voices. We, as you point out, you know, we all have some sort of deep, shameful thought in our in our head, and we all are prone to self doubt. Some of us more than others. And I think, even though we recognize that as not a good thing, you know, we we seek out validation of that. Um, and it's so easy to see when you're not when you're not paying attention. You know. It, and, and so I, I said, when I started sitting up and paying attention, uh, it became impossible to to continue that habit anymore of kind of flagellating myself with negative comments. Yeah, and it, it, I don't know. I kind of feel like the native comments are the same as your internal native comments, as well as the negative relationship with food. And then, mm-hmm. um, as you change everything, everything is just kind of changing in the way that it, it meant to be originally. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an incredible positive development. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that um, are relating a lot to what we're talking about. I mean, I I don't think I know, I can't think of any women that I know um, who haven't thought of it, even just, I don't like this part of my body or part of myself. And what, what would you say to people who are where you were a few years ago? Oh, it's so hard because whenever whenever I consider that question, I think about myself before this time, and I think about the fact that I would not have listened to any advice whatsoever. It just wouldn't have penetrated. Um, but who knows? Uh, I would say to somebody who is in my position, you know, uh, what what are you waiting for? Don't wait. Don't wait. Look at you know. Look at look at your life, and is is this okay? You know, can you maybe consider the fact that you are all right as you are right now? I mean, what hypothetically even, what would that be like if there was nothing wrong with you anymore in your head? So you I mean, mean it's scary. It's a scary thing to say, yeah. and I think I you know had somebody posed that to me, I would have been very defensive, but. You know, it's a radical thing to be like, maybe I'm not a problem to be fixed. Maybe I should sort of seize my life and move forward with it right me here, right now in this body that I have. But, you know, I guess that's really all we have. We don't really have any guarantees about the future. And, and there's just there's just no point in waiting. It's terrible. Waiting is terrible. Don't do it. Well, you know, I, I like how how you're saying that because, um, you know, you waited, it, you didn't seek out friends and you didn't seek out romantic relationships until you were older than your friends had been because you were waiting for things to be perfect and, and mm-hmm. uh, you probably would have enjoyed things more if you had, you know, 
gone out and done those things but there I mean obviously there was a process that had to happen for you but I mean I like yeah. that, that you're saying that um yeah. is if there's um if anybody has any questions about um you know this topic or your book or anything is there a way that they can get a hold of you yeah absolutely um you can find me on social media I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Ms. Kelsey Miller Ms. Kelsey Miller um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Kelsey Miller Writer, and uh, I publish the Anti-Diet Project and Refinery29 every other Monday, um, and KelseyMiller.com. If all else fails, go for it. You know me directly from there. Um, so the the book is called Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life, and uh, it sounds like that is what you did, and uh, so mm-hmm. congratulations. I think what you did was a, a really difficult process, and, um, and uh, you know, I hope this was, it seems like it was life-changing for you, and I think that's uh, um, something we all have to go through in some way, and, and uh, I'm, I'm proud of you for it. I think it's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really lovely chatting with you. Yeah, this is a great show. So um, thank you so much. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, so today we were talking with Kelsey Miller. Again, the book was Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. And her blog is called The Anti-Diet Project. Um, so um, if you liked more information, please contact Kelsey um, through both of those venues. And thank you so much for listening today. Make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.